Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chaddock. Our podcast is dedicated to therapists, social workers, counselors, and psychologists working with clients from an attachment-based perspective. Join host Karen Doyle Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading attachment theory researchers and clinicians in the field. Today, Karen welcomes Jim Thomas for part one of their two-part discussion on using attachment theory when working with couples. Part two will be released on September 1st. Hello, everybody. This is your host, Karen Doyle Buckwalter from Chaddock, and I'd like to welcome you back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. Today, we are going to be interviewing Jim Thomas, and Jim is going to be talking to us about emotionally focused couples therapy, EFT, as many people know it, a way of working with couples based on attachment theory that was developed by Dr. Sue Johnson from Canada. So I'm looking forward to this discussion because I've informally studied EFT for a lot of years, listened to a lot of lectures, watched videos, that kind of thing, even though I'm not officially trained in EFT. But I've read a lot about it because I find it such an intriguing helpful model of working with couples. So I want to tell you a little bit about Jim Thomas before he joins us. Many people describe him as genuine, warm, open, compassionate, and able to give and receive feedback. He adds a touch of humor to his interactive approach. He likes to work with couples, families, individuals, and organizations from a strength-based holistic approach. And he's even been known to sing a few bars from a song in his sessions. He loves his work. A little bit about his educational background. He obtained his bachelor's degree in psychology from Ohio State University. He studied alternative approaches to psychotherapy for two years at Boulder College. Sounds like something you would do at Boulder College. And he earned his master's degree in clinical psychology from the University of Colorado at Denver. He is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He's an EFT therapist. He's an AAMFT clinical fellow and approved supervisor, as well as an EFT trainer, supervisor, all the things that you can kind of do when you practice EFT. Um, He also... um, focuses in his work, in addition to EFT, he likes to describe himself as focusing on connection with families and couples. And that is actually what originally led him to the work of Sue Johnson, author of the book, Hold Me Tight. So he has actually uh, been trained and supervised directly by Dr. Johnson and also Gail Palmer. And he continues, um, as I said earlier, to be part of the EFT uh, clinical practice and training community. So I am looking forward to him joining us in a few minutes uh, here. I'll take a pause until we get ready for him to come on. 
Join the Knowledge Center for an experiential workshop designed to support successful engagement of parents in the child therapy process. Karen Doyle Buckwalter will be joining Daphna Lender for the other half of the equation, engaging parents in child therapy. This two-day workshop on September 24th and 25th will focus on how to identify parents who need more focused work, how to set goals for the parent, how to help parents initiate repair, and more areas to help the child, parent, and therapist get the most out of the therapy session. Registration is open now. For more information or to register for the workshop, head to tkcchaddock.org. So I am here now with Jim Thomas, who's going to be talking about emotionally focused couple therapy with us. Jim, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me, Karen. Yeah. So I know, you know, many of these models are complex and require a lot of training and it's a bit of a challenge to think, oh, talking about this on a podcast for an hour, but, or, or even less. So let's just start out though with how attachment theory relates to this model, how Susan Johnson started to formulate her ideas about this and why as she was working with couples. I know that I read that she, um, started looking at actually videos of her work and was right. trying to look for, wow, you know, what's going on with these couples and how can I handle uh, uh, what's going on and, and how can I kind of help them? So maybe we can just start out there. Sure, sure. Um, well, you know, the brilliance, I think, of that Sue, as I understand it, and as uh, I've heard from her is, you know, back in the day, she was taping couples with VCR tapes, right? And and she's in graduate school or kind of her PhD and, and um, trying to make sense of how to work with couples and applying a lot of the ideas of the time of like structural therapy and strategic therapy and things and problem solving. And But she's always interested in emotion. And she went and started asking couples, you know, what are the most powerful moments for you the most powerful sessions and they would say like that third session you know halfway in and so she went and started looking and the pattern just you know flew out at her as moments of vulnerability those moments of emotional depth and vulnerability some change in their sort of dance you know this anybody that does couples therapy i think can attest or any couple out there that's stuck in a you know relationship that doesn't feel flexible and fulfilling um that we get into these rigid interactional cycles over time that build and build and build. And I think what she was finding was by slowing things down and, and honoring emotion and looking for emotion in the room, um, particularly emotions that weren't present. Like if a couple was really okay at anger, she wasn't going to go build up their anger, right? She would look for sadness or hurt on right. the anger. Um, and then, so she looks at these tapes and finds um, it's the vulnerable moments that are making the difference to people and then what to do with those moments um, and how to build on those moments, which became the stuff of EFT. And, you know, for me, it's, I've always, I, I got fascinated by attachment theory back in grad school in the late eighties. And I, I remember I discovered Bowlby on my own was in grad school and this is, you know, 30 years more ago, oh gosh, I have to do the math. Maybe it's longer than that. Um, <laughs> but I, um, I, I, uh, I go to a professor, and she, goes, what do you think? What are you going to do with your degree? And I said, Well, I want to do attachment theory work and blend it with systems. And she says, Oh, you're going to work zero to three. Mm. I said, no, no, it's 
from cradle to grave, life is best experienced as a series of excursions, Bowlby said, right out from this safe haven back to this secure base. I want to apply it through. And um, in the field, it was just not in the field. Um, and I didn't know about Sue at the time. I, I was lucky I went into a postgraduate program and trained with a couple who had trained with Mnuchin. And the, the Suzanne um, was very much into surfacing. It was kind of a proto EFT, right? She didn't have the attachment bones to it, but she was surfacing um, emotion in the room with families and couples. It wasn't the dominant emotional expression. And then going into that and creating change events in the room, right? Yes. And so I was fascinated by that. And I ended up working at a place called Denver Children's Home. That's where I did my internship. And I was working with um, at-risk youth, multi-problem families, multi-stress families. I'm working across culture, which was powerful for me. I learned so much. And um, um, it really shaped you know, who I am as a therapist, an EFT therapist. But I kept finding these, these moments where all the efforts to do like behavior management and teach skills and, and, and both in, in like a program and with the families would get these minimal results. But it was moments like allowing this, this one mom who just couldn't tell her, her daughters that she loved them. It just wasn't right for her culturally. And, and, and then in one session she says, I love you to these two teenage kids who are in so much trouble all the time and in trouble with the law and school and something shifted and, they, and I watch over the next six months before they're out of our program, there's no more trouble. And I'm like, wait a minute, I got to go back to Bowlby. Mm-hmm. And around the time I'm really committing to going back to Bowlby, I discover Sue at a conference and I'm like, Oh, here's somebody that's organized what Suzanne and Jan were teaching me um, by adding the attachment lens and mm-hmm. adding that to like a humanistic kind of Carl Rogers or, in the news right now, it'd be more like Fred Rogers. You know, Fred was the Fred. Fred was a Carl Rogers on TV. Right. Um, you know, oh, right. I'm sorry. phone will only ring twice. Sorry. <laughs> um, a Fred Rogers that um, I'm gonna put this thing in the drawer. Um, who, who you know, approaching families and approaching couples from a place of like, I can understand why you're in this distress. Mm-hmm. I want to make sense of the distress. I want you to talk to me about the distress um, rather than coming in and, you know, doing an assessment and saying to a couple, well, you tend to do this, you know, you, when you get angry, can't you see that it shuts your partner down? And can't you see that when you shut your partner down, you get angry, but rather coming in with that lens of, and that heart of, if, if I was in this dance, with this partner, I'd probably be doing what you were doing and vice versa. And I want to understand it and Mm -hmm. come close to the book two of you and melding that with a systems view of understanding that these patterns that I started to talk about, start to develop these rigid patterns develop. um, And then this core attachment heart of it, that, that what's, what Sue said, you know, when she's having a discussion once, and I think it was the early nineties, after the first study was out with someone who kept saying, well, you've got to teach them how to negotiate. You've got to teach them how to negotiate. And Sue said, she was at dinner getting frustrated with him. And then she finally said, they're not bargains. They're bonds, emotional bonds, right? Right. We're working with people's emotional bonds. And if I don't feel secure in my emotional bond with you, all the communication skills training in the world are 
you know, scripted dialogues or active listening and all that stuff goes out the window because I'm in a panic. And that's right. the root of understanding right. Right. You know, couples from an attachment lens that this right. panic we feel when things don't go well with our partner is real. It's real for me with my wife. Yeah, I think yeah. that, you know, if you look back um, in those early years, when I was first listening to her lectures, um, it was before the decade of the brain. It was in the 80s. Um, and we weren't talking as much about neuroscience, but, but, it's really what she was like, like it, it yeah, is what she was talking about when she yeah. was talking about primary and secondary affect. And when she was talking about, which I think is a great thing that maybe you want to talk about it. Cause that's one thing that's always stuck with me about her work or, you know, that you're going basically into back brain fight, flight, freeze with your partner. And, you know, it's not the time that we can like negotiate who's going to do what chores. I mean, it, it's just like, so that, that, that is just such so far from the depth of safety and connection that is needed. <laughs> right. That I mean, to think about like, or to say to, to the to therapist to say, you know, can't you see, you know, okay, your heart rate's going way up and what you need to do now is, and then when you go home and this happens, I want you to do this. And these are very sort of um, bottom, the top, top down, you know, yes. the front of the brain, the intellect trying to ride this like emotional elephant. As Jonathan Haidt says in the in the Righteous Mind, right, that my emotional self is like this big elephant, and the intellect sitting on top of the elephant without a stirrup. Yeah, I'm telling stories about what's happening in this dance. Right, and I'm yelling at my wife because she's so unreasonable, or you know, and yeah, Sue Sue's saying we have to meet people there in that secondary affect or that reactivity, in that fight or flight or panic or in that anger or in that shutdown or whatever, or that trauma that, you know, that's getting triggered by what my partner just did um, or whatever it is. We have to go meet people there and, and be in that experience with them and help them start to make sense of it rather than coming to them and saying, here's your behavioral intervention. You're going to stop doing this and instead you'll do that. Or let's cognitively reappraise you know, the thoughts you're having, or let's learn negotiation skills. Let's practice problem solving. Let's do communication skill development that she wanted to create a more, uh, an experience in the room. And, and that's what she borrowed so brilliantly from Mnuchin and the structural folks was let's have both people enact their dance in front of us yes. and have enactments where they share at a different level. Right, mm -hmm. they they take these little vulnerable bits they find, and and um, we choreograph an encounter with their partner, um, so that some new information is going across to their mm -hmm. partner that attachment mm -hmm. system. But yeah, I like what you said. Yeah, that that is always so helpful to me, but for myself personally, I like to remember that if I'm getting, if I'm having a really strong reaction to something, I'm getting angry, you know, or I'm I'm wanting to pull back and shut down that that's probably, and secondary not meaning like it's of secondary importance, secondary meaning it's coming second. It's right. really important differentiation, right? Because sometimes yeah. when people go, well, anger's a secondary emotion, like it's not important or something. Um, that's not what we mean by that. What we mean is often I'm hurt and then I get angry, I'm, I'm sad and I get angry that no, I get mad like a little kid and nobody sees how sad I am or right. I feel safer showing mad 
right and sad right i remember one of her lectures and she has this amazing way of um I think when she speaks, bringing up examples and even oh, gosh. and evoking emotion, even in the listener. So, you know, I'm listening to this lecture and she's talking about the primary and secondary affect. And she's talking, you may even know this. She's telling this story of this couple at a party and the oh. man is watching his wife yes, across yes. the room with another man. And he just becomes livid and well, it looks flirty to him or something right? yes yes so and scared. It, yeah yeah and she says he goes up to her and said you know are you ready to leave are you quite finished whoring around is what she says you know that he says to in her in her british accent which <laughs> her lovely accent so and then you know then she begins to like uh, deconstruct actually what that man felt and you know the like the gut primal like almost sick he was feeling looking at his partner across the room thinking you know is she attracted to that man am I no longer attracted to her you know what is going to happen to me what is going to happen to us and I remember that example just I mean it's probably the probably 15 20 years since i listened to that maybe 25 and it just always res like just really resonated right and i think she talks about in that she'll say now here's an a more secure the they're in the car and the man says when you were talking to that fellow for a while and laughing i got a little scared inside and i wondered if because you haven't laughed at me much lately yeah. And it made me feel a little scared, you know, because yes. you're laughing at, and my ability to make you laugh is, means a lot to me. And then she's able to reach over and say, oh, of course, you're my guy. You know, he was just making jokes about the boss. Remember my boss I had at that company? Yeah. They were funny, you know. And um, and then uh, and the other side of that, right, is that and what was it like to, to at a party suddenly have this person you're supposed to be feel safe with and respected by say you're whoring around yes. and we could go to her side of it and be like what happens to you when your husband suddenly escalates and uses like def- def- defamatory language towards you you know yes. and her own you know upset or, or her healthy you know primary anger about like don't do that and her own fear of what does this mean and what do you see me that way all the time and how could you say that to me and you get the the cycles, you know, these are yeah. these, these things that, that men get repeated. So when it ha- each time it happens, it's laying down that neural pathway, as like Siegel would say, right? Like it's yes. laying down a neural pathway. And we just don't have a lot of evidence in the science, you know, in my humble opinion, that talking about that and trying to teach people to do something different works most of the time when people are that triggered. Yeah, like a slip and slide, you know, right Fall on the slip and slide and I go down the hill. Yeah. And I think when you just look at it and of course, as as clinicians, we would hope we're not just looking at it on the surface. That's not what we're supposed to do. But when you look at an interaction just on the surface, maybe even as an outsider or a friend, it's like, what a hot headed, jealous jerk. I mean, who would behave that way? And, And then, you know, to hear really the the prime, you know, the feelings under what got expressed in the anger. I like how she talks about, you know, we, we, when we feel insecure and we get upset and angry and we go 
we can go after our partner with a hatchet. <laughs> All right, right. If we go back to like Fred Rogers said something to the effect of, we get the saddest and the maddest with the people we love the most. Yes. What a puzzle love and anger are. Yeah. Right. And that, that, you know, for me, what you're talking about is a very powerful thing that I, I, I aspire to. And it's so, it's an ongoing sort of practice, maybe like a, a therapist, spiritual practice is, is I'm getting hooked in the dance and starting to have that thought about like, Oh, what a hothead edge, you know, blah, 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 that to sort of stop and say there, but for the grace of the cycle, go, I, you know, yes. um, that that person is more than that, that mm -hmm. what we're seeing is a one or two dimensional expression of them as they're caught in this wicked dance, you know, dancing to this music that neither partner like, but yes. they all both think the other person, is driving the dance or wants the dance or, and so what you're talking about there, I think Karen is, is very key to a humanistic attachment systemic view that's embedded at the heart of EFT. And it's, it's hard to practice EFT if you're coming into with diagnosis and pathology, you know, looking at people as broken, damaged or dysfunctional or looking at people as, expressions of DSM diagnoses or looking at people as, you know, if you're going in with a lens of, oh, look how passive aggressive that is, or look how right. controlling that is, look how manipulative that is. And I spend so much, you know, I do these two-day intensives. I just, I did one Monday, Tuesday, Monday, one Thursday, Friday, and couples, the couples come from all over the country to see me. And I'm doing, it's one couple or family at a time for two or three days. And we're doing therapy all day, right? And I'm in that, 15, 16, or 20, you know, two hours or whatever with them, I'm, I'm not thinking, I'm not, it, honestly, in myself, and I've been a therapist a long time, and I've been impacted by Sue and Rogers and people, um, I'm not sitting there most of the time thinking, oh, God, how manipulative that is. Can't they see how, you know, et cetera. It, it, and, of course, when, look, safety comes up and things and name-calling and all that, going to come in and create safety in the room but it's not my purpose to come and say to people look how bad you're being i want to come to people and say well what a struggle you're in yes and you're in this struggle together and you, you're caught in this dance together and at some point if we explore that dance in a quality way one or both of the partners start to say you know maybe maybe you're not the enemy i'm not the enemy you're not the bad guy. I'm not the bad guy. Our marriage isn't broken or wrong or flawed. Maybe the problem here is this attachment, distress-driven, negative cycle we get into. And maybe we could start to turn and make sense of our relationship from that place with the therapist's help. And, and that's a really key part of this is it gives us as therapists a map and a territory to think about couples distress as part of the human experience mm -hmm. rather than putting it into a pathology lens. And that's something like Mnuchin said, um, 
you know, in family therapy, we privilege possibility over pathology. Mm, I love that. Right? So we're not denying pathology. It's not to say that you won't get a couple where somebody really has got bipolar and when they get manic, it's really difficult. You get a couple where somebody's dealing with depression, you know, but we keep going towards how is this impacting the ability to turn to my partner and say, are you the hair? I need you in this way right now. Will you come hold me? Will you come walk beside me? Will you come share with me and open up so I know you're there? Will you be in this this life with me? In ever increasing, and my personal take on it is, over time, partners need an overall tendency to get closer over time, to have the lines between them get fuzzier, not clearer. That we be that there's a one plus one equals three. There's you, there's me, and there's this thing that's between us that we're going to feed and nourish and take care of like a garden and that. Um, that helps. And and the irony, like as Sue points out, right? That and Bowlby said that autonomy, as we understand it in Western civilization in general, is fueled by secure bonds. I think in Love Sense, she says something to the effect on like page 22 that we can only really be at our best when we have at least one secure connection with, with some other human, you know, mm-hmm. dead or alive, that they, we, we have internalized inside ourselves some person who held and understood us and values us, accepts us, we belong with them and they care for us. And, and as an adult, I accept you, you belong with me and I care for you. Um, and that's the beauty of it. For me, it's magical work. For me, it's transformative, magical work. And I'm, I'm stunned over and over again, right? By when I invest and really, really just do this work and, and meet people where they are. And like Sue says, meet people where they are before you ask them to do anything different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would say to therapists out there, if you're trying on an attachment-based model like this or EFT, you know, connect with each partner, connect with the couple before you're trying to get them to connect with each other. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so good, you know. And um, I know we're going to be winding down here in our in our first part of the interview, but um, it's just such good stuff that she talks about. And if we, well, let me say since, since you prompted me with that, yes. So so concretely, so whether or not maybe you 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 want to look at couples from an attachment lens, but you're not attracted to the FT model, right? You're not going to listen to part two, let's say, or you're just mm-hmm. a couple out there going, "This is interesting." So, so what fuels these negative cycles, right? And what our understanding of it is it's, it's attachment to stress. So it's fear, it's fear and maybe shame. It's, it's, it's core built into us, wired into us, attachment fears and longings that are playing out indirectly in these negative cycles we get caught up in. And, they, and we... I'm scared in that example you gave, you know, I'm threatened by that flirting or I'm scared that you could call me that name. Are you going to abandon me because you're so mad at me? Are you going to reject me? Mm -hmm. Are you sending a message, a clear message to me, clear signals, clear emotional signal that you accept me? Maybe, you know, you accept me and like me as me and you're glad I'm a blessing, not a burden. 
are you sending clear signals to me on the other side? So people tend in these dances to, to either, um, you know, I, I get flooded by what's happening and I come over the top and I complain or demand and pursue you, right, in maybe a harsh way. And I, my underlying fear is you're going to abandon me in the moment or overall that you find me to be too much or not lovable. And I'm scared about that. And on the other side, people will tend towards emotional withdrawal. You know, why do we have to talk about this? Why do we have to process so much? And those folks, there's a high correlation with fears of not being accepted, not being liked. And they go into protective mode. And the other partner goes into this hyper-connected mode. But what's fueling that is natural built-in fears. That the fears themselves are not the problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're not trying an EFT or attachment work to get rid of people's attachment fears. And we're not broken. We're not these this emotional dependence on other people, as Sue says in Love Sense, this emotional dependence for reassurance and contact and connection. You know, Pooh, when Piglet reaches up to Pooh and says, Hey Pooh, and Pooh says, What, Piglet? And he says, I just wanted to be sure of you. Because they were scared. They were scared of the heffalumps in the book, right? Right. These are natural fears. And the primal panic of when you're not there for me, or I'm afraid you're rejecting me or abandoning me in the moment or overall, um, are like Pansky, the, the researcher who passed away a couple of years ago, Washington State called it a primal panic. And it's, it's wired into us. It's mm-hmm. not about getting rid of the fear. It's about allowing people to get to a place. And when we talk in the second part, we'll talk about this first stage and the second stage that once we get them into the second stage and they can start to reach out from the fear from a vulnerable place and say please tell me so my wife some it's been a f- some years now we we had a, an argument and we we've kind of settled down and about five ten minutes later she comes down the stairs and i give her a hug and she starts to cry and i said what's going on and she goes i get scared sometimes that you're gonna get tired of me Mm-hmm. Oh, I could never get tired of you. You should tell me that. Tell me again. I could never get tired of you. You're so interesting. You're so, and that's that direct reach. And if you grew up in a family, right, where you can make that direct reach and say, mm-hmm. I'm, re- I'm scared, mom, that you don't like me. Dad, I think you won't. You're only going to approve of me if I become a big, high powered doctor or a lawyer. If I just become a, you know, I run a daycare center because I love kids, you're going to be disappointed. Mm-hmm. If I can which, say that. Which may, have, which may have been true. <laughs> right. But if I can directly say that, yes, it cues a different response. Yes. yes. More in half. But I want to make sure, you know, that we're clear about what we believe is fueling these cycles. Yes. Is, is this attachment distress and the meaning of um, that I'm making, the meaning that that fellow in that story made of, um, what looked to him like flirtatious behavior was danger, danger, danger. She could be more interested in someone else. The meaning of, of that. And we're exploring the emotional undercurrents. Like you said, getting to the primary affect, the primary emotional experience that's uh, fueling that negative cycle and helping couples start to make sense of where these behaviors come from and where these thoughts come from. Rather than trying to change the behaviors and thoughts, we want to make a corrective emotional <laughs> experience 
that'll change the dance. We can talk more about that. Yes, yes. Well, this has been wonderful so far. I'm oh, so enjoying our discussion, and I'm looking forward um, when we um, move on to part two about the phases and steps of the EFT and some of the core concepts. So listeners, we hope that you will join us next week for part two. This concludes part one of the two-part conversation between Karen Doyle Buckwalter and Jim Thomas on using attachment theory when working with couples. Part two will be released on Tuesday, September 1st. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. Please follow our site, tkcchattock.org, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean for future episodes. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please log on to tkcchattock.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory.